The American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 27. Welcome to the American Truck Driver Podcast. I'm coming to you live from the Love's Travel Center in Bordentown, New Jersey. This will be episode 27. I've been wanting to do an episode like this for a while and uh, on this topic. And uh, I, I ran across uh, an essay of sorts that someone wrote. And it just made sense uh, to bring him on here to talk about this. So the title of this episode is Possession with Intent to Deliver. You hear that that phrase a lot uh, on your on your news feed, you know, that someone was caught with an illegal substance of some sort. And uh, and, you know, they'll say, oh, well, just possession with intent to deliver. And I thought, you know, possession with intent to deliver is what I do for a living. You know, I, I possess a truckload of stuff and I intend to deliver. it. But why are some products deemed bad or illegal or immoral? And, and who makes that decision? And why do we let them make that decision? Well, if you ever saw the TV show Breaking Bad, I've, I've seen about half of it. I need to finish it. But it tells the story of Walter White, who was a chemistry teacher that gets cancer. And he figures out that he can make some money making crystal meth. And everything per, you know um, goes on from there. Uh, and, and you see the transformation of his character from the... Uh, mild-mannered teacher to the drug kingpin. So a few weeks ago, uh, I saw um, an article, I guess you could call it an essay, um, called Breaking Liberty. Now, I am what a lot of people would call an anarchist libertarian. That's a scary word for a lot of people, but um, it is what it is. And so I have views that don't conform to the mainstream. So when I saw this Breaking Liberty, and it was and it was basically kind of a, a treatment of the Breaking Bad series and breaking it down to uh, kind of explain those principles of, of liberty, freedom of travel, freedom of, of movement, um, free enterprise, um, and, and how things that the state decides are bad you know, how the, how the market can be manipulated. So uh, this Jared Wall that we're about to talk to wrote this, uh, this essay, and it's just absolutely fantastic. It can be found at breakingliberty.com. I suggest you go there. Uh, it's free. You can download it, uh, get a copy of it, read it. There's a lot of good stuff there. If you love the Breaking Bad TV show, I know you'll love this. So let's go ahead and bring um, Jared on here to talk about this. Jared, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about Breaking Liberty and how um, you decided to, to go down this path. Yeah, well, thanks, Chris. It's uh, good to be on your show. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of episodes. I definitely you know, like and appreciate what you're doing. I think it's, uh, it's definitely good work. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to speak to your audience. Um, yeah, I wrote, uh, I call it a book. Kind of an ebook. It's a collection of essays. 
that I called Breaking Liberty. It's really a it's a combination of two of my favorite things. A combination of uh, a passion of mine and also kind of an addiction of mine. You know, it's a uh, it's a combination of libertarian anarchist ideology, uh, and it's combined that with uh, my my addiction to uh, binge watching TV shows, and uh, one of those shows that I've watched uh, is Breaking Bad, which I absolutely loved. Uh, I put in you know my top three favorite TV shows of all time. But uh, as you kind of alluded to, uh, throughout that show, it just shows the 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 pitfalls and the um, you know all the negative consequences that come with the states with the governments. Um, war on drugs with all their prohibition of various products, uh, which I think is a good word for for them. Um, so I guess, you know, to start, uh, the libertarian, you know, one of the main points that a libertarian is going to make over and over and over again is that uh, a crime, by definition, can only be a crime if there's a victim. So things like assault or rape or murder or theft or fraud or property damage or a legitimate threat those are real crimes which you know should be punished for what they are um but the the state and the government i use those two interchangeably i kind of prefer the state but that's going off on a tangent uh but they're always uh making crimes where they don't really exist, uh, where there is no victim, where they say society is the victim or the state is the victim, but that doesn't really make sense. And, uh, you know, it's bastardizing the English language by saying that. So, you know, when, uh, when the state comes along and finds somebody or throws them in jail for a non-crime, to treat a non-criminal as if they've committed a crime is, is a crime in and of itself. So, um, you know, that really just leads to the conclusion that the, the war on drugs should be com- abolished completely, which is what Breaking Liberty uh, Volume 1 is all about. Um, you know, so really it's just uh, what it, what is the war on drugs it's really just making crimes where out of people who are not criminals people who are buying and selling and consuming and possibly becoming addicted to uh substances that politicians and bureaucrats have decided are uh need to be illegal um so yeah, you got a situation where you got willing buyers and willing sellers engaging in voluntary transactions, uh, and then the state comes along and says you can't do that, and if you keep doing it, we're going to fine you, and if you keep doing it, we're going to put you in jail, and uh, you know. So I guess you know what you're saying about the morality of it is absolutely correct. What makes buying and selling? Uh, you know, some some illegal product any different than buying and selling uh, shipping services or buying and selling food. Um, you know, when when you sell your transportation services to someone who needs transportation, no one takes any issue with that. But if it's some, you know, some substance that has been declared 
bad and illegal by the government, then all of a sudden things change when the, the, the fundamental what's happening isn't any different at all. Uh, you know, people would say, people would come back and say, yeah, but, you know, drugs, they're dangerous. They hurt people. People get addicted and it ruins lives. And, you know, when you start going down that path of, uh, you know, objectivity and, and what is right and wrong and whatnot, you know, somebody could say the same thing about trucking. Somebody could say, yeah, well, all that uh, pollution that gets put in the air is bad for the environment. So maybe we should shut down trucking, too. You know, so you go down well, that Say again. There's plenty of those. Oh yeah, I've I've been in contact with many of them. Um, and so you know you go down that road of you know using emotion to decide what's right and wrong instead of reason. Uh, it's it's a dangerous path to go down. Yeah, I um, you know I, I came to to a libertarian belief system and philosophy kind of slowly over time. I used to, as a driver, I used to listen to 16 hours of talk radio a day. And about 2008, uh, I was about to drive my truck into a bridge abutment. So I had to stop because um, it was just, it was so bad. And it, the principles were what got me. I, I started thinking about instead of what the Republicans or the Democrats had to tell me, I started thinking about Okay, well, what are real economic principles? Because what I saw in the transformation from Bush to Obama was I saw two, two groups of people switch places. I saw people who were anti-war become pro-war. I saw people who were anti-market become pro-market. And I thought, wait a minute, you, you just said all of these things. There's a, that famous line from Bush where he said, he had to abandon free market principles to save the free market system. And I was like, what? 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 How, how does that make any sense? So when I start to think about things uh, on their own merit and not just because, um, just, well, the government said so. Well, who are the government? You know, who are, who are these people in, at the state and why do we have this view of them that they are, they're so much smarter than the rest of us? I think I used to believe, well, they, this, this group of people uh, have access to information I don't have access to. So I should listen to what they say, maybe not because they're smarter than me, but they just have better access and better information. So I should trust their judgment. And I finally got to a point where I, I don't have to differentiate anymore between a Barack Obama and a Donald Trump. I, I see them as flip sides of the same coin. Yeah, they say different stuff. Um, but the reality of what they do on foreign policy, monetary policy, domestic policy, none of that stuff changes. It's, it's pretty much been the same. We're, we've got the same operating under the same foreign policy now for about 20 years. Um, so when I become self-employed, in the trucking business, then that adds another layer of, of questions because self-employed people make terrible slaves. Um, self-employed people have to write checks to the government. They don't just have it taken out of their paycheck. And so you really have to think about what you're doing. And then, and then you learn, you know, I, I got to learn about fuel taxes and tolls and, 
and, and fees and all of this regulatory crap that's poured on top of us. Um, and, and I started asking the question, who benefits? And when I finally learned to ask that question, well, who benefits from a wall on the Mexican border? Who benefits from drug policy? Who benefits from prohibition? Who benefits from the foreign policy and, and, and the wars going on uh, in the Middle East? The answer was never me. I was never the beneficiary. Nobody I knew was the beneficiary. And, you know, I've used marijuana back in the day when I was in my 20s. And so at that time, being willing to cross that arbitrary line and say, uh, that, you know, that I would be willing to use this illegal product. And then you, you're sitting there going, wait a minute. Oh, I didn't die. Nothing bad happened. So how now that you've done this project and you've got some feedback from people. Have you got, gotten much back in, in the sense that um, people are just unwilling to, to, to take a step back and, and look at this? from a different angle? Uh, not really. Um, most of the people who have read it are already libertarians or already, you know, leaning that direction. So most of the feedback I've got has been very positive. Uh, but there's definitely people that I know and whether they're friends or family or coworkers or whatnot that, you know, just think, uh, think, you know, your libertarian ideas are just crazy. How can we, how could we possibly live without all these laws and without all this government and uh, without our wise overlords protecting us and all that? So, you know, I've, I've definitely run into a lot of pushback on these ideas, not necessarily from this book, but just more in general. Um, but I want to tell what you, you mentioned, uh, you know, all the regulatory crap that you guys deal with, which I th I'm sure just gets worse and worse every year. Uh, you know, regulation is kind of just like a, a form of prohibition. Um, you know, it, does, it just says you're not allowed to, to do this or uh, behave this way or run your truck how you want to, more or less. And, uh, you know, just like prohibition of, of drugs, it, it doesn't work. You know, the, regardless of whatever law gets written down and on a piece of paper and then some politicians sign their names to it people keep selling people keep buying people keep consuming and people keep getting addicted and you know just the same way with with uh you know the trucking industry there's all kinds of pro regulations that i'm sure get ignored uh don't get followed um you know i've heard you talk about some of that stuff in in some of your other episodes uh and you know really my one of you know like i said earlier my main reason for writing the book was try and spread the idea of just eliminating this drug war entirely eliminating all of this these prohibitions entirely because all the prohibition has accomplished is is uh you know leading to gang violence and cartel violence and uh you know you can look back at uh, when alcohol was when when there was the prohibition of alcohol that led directly to the rise of the mafia um just like the same way all this drug prohibition has led to the rise of of gangs and cartels and people like pablo escobar and all that kind of stuff so uh 
you know, violence is a big problem. And that violence isn't just confined to the people who choose to engage in these transactions of prohibited substances. It's not just the drug dealers who get shot. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not that that's not the only negative consequences of all this violence. You know, that violence touches on innocent people who have nothing to do with it, whether it's a stray bullet or, uh, you know, addicts having to steal um, to, to fund their habits and whatnot. All this violence branches out and touches on innocent people. And that's one of the great things, one of the, one of the things that the show Breaking Bad does brilliantly is it shows, shows that, um, you know, and the reason why prohibition leads to violence is because it creates black markets. It's not the same thing as the free market. People get confused and don't really understand the difference between black markets and free markets. And for me, the, the, the difference is simple is that black markets aren't defined by property rights. Um, you know, in the, in the free market, you go into a store, uh, you buy your product, you leave, you go home and you don't see, you know, Budweiser and Michelob getting into street fights because you know they they have the justice system uh that they can rely on to to quell disagreements that doesn't exist in the black market uh you know and so instead of being defined by property rights it's defined by who's who's the baddest who's the toughest who's got who's willing to use more violence uh than the other person um so there's 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 that major negative consequence of the of the war on drugs and then Another negative consequence of it is, you know, there's a, there's an incentive put in place for people who traffic these drugs to make them more uh, more addictive, more potent, make them smaller, um, so that it doesn't take up as much space when you're transporting it from one place to another. So it's less likely to get detected. So um, Breaking Bad's all about crystal meth. Uh, but crystal meth probably wouldn't even exist if if these other drugs weren't prohibited by the, by the state. It was yeah, it's, it's, it, it can be it could be manufactured anywhere. You don't you don't have to live in the tropics where the coca plants live to make cocaine. You can be anywhere and make it. Um, and uh, that's what that that's kind of what people have called it forever is poor man's cocaine because. Uh, people are looking for that high and if they can't afford the cocaine because it's so artificially more expensive than it otherwise would be because you got to deal with all the, you know, you got to ship it from Colombia and you know, you got to protect yourself from the cops and try and get it across borders and deal with, uh, you know, people getting thrown in jail. Was um, it in your, your piece that you talked about um, the opiate, the legal opiates, um, and, and the problems created by them, which which kind of opens the door and leaves a void for um, the, what made what made me think about this. My my mom is in her seventies, just had a shoulder replacement a few months ago, and my sister kind of had to go angry redneck on them to get them to give her pain medication. And we're sitting there going, why are they restricting pain medication for a seventy six year old woman that just had a, a a shoulder replacement. Was it your piece that you were talking about how, you know, they, they, they put you on it, but then they have to limit it. And then you leave the void 
and the only thing that can fill the void is heroin. Yeah, that I, that is that is uh one of the one of the essays in the book I wrote. Um, off the top of my head, I don't even remember which one it was, but it's in there for sure. And what happens is, you know, the the only pain medication really that's available to doctors is opioid based medications, and then because those are so you know strong and so addictive. The government then comes in and says, okay, well, doctors, you can prescribe this, but you can't over-prescribe it. And we, the all-knowing, all-wise overlords in government, uh, we're going to tell you what over-prescribing is. That's not going to be a decision between doctor and patient. That's going to be you know, a top-down dictate that we as politicians are going to give you. So doctors give out these opioid prescriptions, and then... Uh, unless they want to risk losing their do- their 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 medical license, they have to stop giving out these you know these opioid prescriptions at some point because then you know they don't want to overprescribe in the eyes of the law. And then once you know if if there's a somebody who who needs that pain medication and then they can't they don't have access to a, a doctor's prescription pad anymore, then the only thing they have access to is going out on the street and buying buying heroin. And, uh, you know, if you you can Google heroin epidemic and close to a million results come up, you know, the, the, everybody knows that that heroin's a big problem. And that's one of the big reasons why. Um, Are you familiar with. Um, there's been this story and I haven't really looked into it about West Virginia um, and that that it's it's reported that there were millions and millions and millions of opiate pills prescribed and shipped to these little tiny communities in West Virginia. Now, a lot of people kind of have their tinfoil hat on about it, that, that there's, this was some type of pharmaceutical scheme. Um, so I don't, you know, it, it keeps coming up because, of course, we have a heroin epidemic in West Virginia right now. Um, and And you have people who are, crying out if someone is revived with narcan uh they'll the the response is well i can't believe i've got to pay for an EpiPen or my diabetes diabetes medicine but the crackhead the heroin addict can get narcan for free um which you know I, that's a legitimate conversation that we can talk about um do you prescribe to it a certain evil on the part of pharmaceutical companies? I think, uh, I think they're just part of a larger group of vested interests who, who have a, uh, a financial, uh, they, they get a financial benefit from maintaining this status quo of prohibition. So I don't necessarily think they're evil. I just think they, they want to make money like anyone else. And when they, you know, these giant pharmaceutical corporations, they have access to uh, lobbyists and they can get meetings with congressmen and then they can lobby and, and work to maintain this, the prohibition of, of illegal drugs. You know, marijuana is a great painkiller that if if it were if it were fully legal it's kind of moving in that direction which is a great thing but if it were fully legal these opioid companies the 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 pharmaceutical companies that provide these opioid 
medicines would have a lot more competition on their hands and they might make less money. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's not just the pharmaceutical companies though. You got the alcohol and tobacco companies, you know, people have vices that they, they want to use something to relax at the end of the day after a long day of hard work. Uh, so, you know, alcohol and tobacco companies want their product to be the only one available. So they lobby the same way pharmaceutical companies do to maintain, you know, the status quo prohibition. Uh, and then there's the prison companies too. They they want to maintain their, uh, they want to have full prisons so that they can keep uh, making their profits off of this more or less slave labor that they got, uh, you know, off of people who are, as I, as I mentioned earlier, just uh non-criminals um and then you got the uh the 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 law enforcement bureaucratic organizations themselves that have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo uh you know the, the breaking bad mostly focuses on the dea because that's uh the 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 agency that hank works for and if you if yeah. you uh if you ended the war on drugs today the DEA would be shut down tomorrow, and then hundreds of thousands of DEA agents all over the country would lose their jobs. And so, you know, they have a vested interest in lobbying for maintaining this this status quo prohibition as well. You know, it, it kind of again, I'll, I'll I'll make a correlation to the the trucking industry. You know, it's it's these huge firms that are lobbying for the status quo prohibition just the, the same way i'm sure you would know better than i do but in oh, yeah. in the trucking industry it's the werners and the the mclean's and whatnot that are lobbying for all of these new regulations that you guys have to deal with it's not the owner operators it's not the mom and pop transportation firms it's it's the, the big guys that know that they can afford these new regulations and that you guys can't, and so it it, it helps eliminate some of their competition. And what's crazy in this industry, ninety percent of the carriers, the trucking companies in America, have six trucks or less. So all of the big firms with the five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand trucks, all of them combined are less than 10% of the total market. And they have all the power. They're the ones who have access to the government yes. to, to make these regulations, which make it harder for the 90% to compete with that 10%. Yeah, I'm working. I just bought a book yesterday. This, this sociologist um, has written a book called The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. Um, and, and he's a progressive leftist, loves unions, um, and so he became a truck driver for six months and has now written a book about it to tell us all about how terrible it is and how workers are being exploited and inequality. Well, he's shining his light on 10% of my industry and completely ignoring the other 90%. Um, so that, and, and this is for me, the essence of the problem with the state, this guy does does not this guy don't give a rip about truck drivers he likes power he likes to be on the winning team and so whether it's drug prohibition trucking regulations they they need that power and so however they can by whatever means necessary and so 
fear is their number one currency. So we have all these safety groups, uh, Road Safe America, Truck Safety Coalition, Mothers Against Tired Truckers. And these people will go, you know, there's a truck wreck. They go, they find the family. They find these people at their absolute weakest point. They exploit their pain so that they can shine that light over and say, hey, look, look, these people got ran over by a Swift truck. Um, and, and, you know, you should feel bad for them. And, and if we don't do something about these companies, these truckers, um, then, you know, you're going to, you're next, you're going to be hurt. So we need to get these regulations in. And it's, it's just a power scheme. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with safety. These people don't give a rip about your safety. They don't care whether or not you do drugs. They don't care whether you're safe on the highway. They need power and control. And, so rather than look at some of these situations as though they're a conspiracy, uh, which I think some of them you can, but I think sometimes it's just you're looking at a market response. We make we build a lot of bullets, tanks, planes, and bombs in this country. Well, if we don't have somebody to use them on, what are we going to do with all the excess bullets, tanks, planes, and bombs? So we've got to have a, a, an aggressive foreign policy to use up that capital yeah and so you can make more and keep the keep the process right. process going yeah so just like with the, the prisons and 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 the agencies and everything that that the state builds up it builds up all of these these systems that have to be fed and then you know well what what about all the jobs you know i i, I guarantee you there's never going to be a congressman or senator that's going to vote to cut the because of all of the defense contractor jobs that are in their districts. They'd be cutting their own throats. There has to be an end to it at some point because it's, it's essentially at some point the house of cards is going to collapse. The, the yeah, you can only be. print so much money before things, uh, you know, and that's, they're not paying for it with real money. They're paying, paying for all this stuff with, with dollars just created out of thin air or borrowed from foreign countries that, you know, finance the the government's debt and you can only go in debt for so long you can only make money out of thin air for so long you see that in zimbabwe and currently in venezuela and you've seen it in germany and spain and all over the place in in, in uh years past but you touch on a good point and that's the 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 power epidemic and there's nothing the state loves more than, than power um you know all the politicians and all the high level powerful bureaucrats that's what they want is just power and as much power as they can get. And a very effective way to do that is to keep them afraid and keep them begging, keep, keep the people under their, under their rule, uh, you know, begging, begging for their protection. So if you tell them that, you know, unless we enforce this war on drugs, then little Johnny is going to die of a heroin overdose at 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, then people say, oh, well, by all means, we, we need you to come in and tell us what we can and cannot do. And you need we need you to throw people in jail for engaging in voluntary transactions. And, and uh, it just, uh, you know, it's it feeds right into what they what they really want, which is that power. And then once they have that power, then they have access to to the the, the tax uh to, or theft, if is, I've heard you call it before, which it definitely is. Um, you know, they, once once they've got us willing to submit to their power, then it's basically just our, you know, the same thing as us opening up our wallets for them to reach in and take 
as much as they say they need in order to protect us. Yeah. Well, fear is, and that's, that's it's one of the things that I want to use this platform now that, that is so, you know, the internet is such a game changer and, and the ability for us to connect uh, with people that we otherwise couldn't or wouldn't connect with um, that. I want to dispel that fear about my industry. I want to, you know, I, I remember when I first started trucking in 97, um, I would see a, like a local news story and it would be about trucking and it would be all of this hyped up over sensationalized stuff. And I look at it and I'd go, well, but that's not true. Why do they hate trucking? And then I figured out it's not trucking. It's everything. It's fear. They, they, and so I'll tell people, look, they're lying about my industry. Why aren't they lying about yours? Um, so I want to be able to kind of dispel that fear. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do a series of episodes on this guy's book um, and try to take that apart. Um, but I do always want to kind of, you know, wrap things up with a positive spin or not spin. I don't like to use that word, a, a positive take. I believe things are getting better. Um, you know, even my own parents are backing off of, of prohibition and they're in their late seventies, you know, and, and, and we, you know, we make jokes all, my mom's got, you know, a thousand ailments and, and, and we'll make it. And I think five years ago that would have horrified her. And now she'll be like, well, I guess I could try it, you know? And I'm thinking, gosh, <laughs> you know, high as a kite would be awesome. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think, you know, the, the barriers are coming down slowly. Um, but we've got to be willing to talk about it. We've got to be willing to have the conversations with people we've never talked to before and get away from, uh, you know, well, d delete me from your friend list. If you believe X, uh, we got to stop that crap because, yeah. you know, I, my feed, man, I got Christians. I got atheists. I got witches. I got, you know, Mexicans, homosexuals. I got them all, uh, you know, but flat earthers, uh, you got to draw the line somewhere. Um, <laughs> You know, we got to reach outside of our comfort zone and connect with people that that have different views so that we can test. I, you know, I, I have a guy that I've been Facebook friends with for, gosh, almost 10 years. Never met him. He's my favorite liberal. He's an Obama bot. Um, he, his, his, the entertainment value of this guy since Donald Trump got elected is just immeasurable. Need him because he challenges me. He makes me think. Really? Okay. Am am I going to uh, completely dismiss him because he's a liberal, or am I going to consider think about um, you know his point of view, uh, or am I just going to troll him, which is what I spend most of my time doing anyway? But yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I've got a, a friend who's. Uh, uh, calls himself calls himself a Marxist. You know, he went to uh, University of Pennsylvania and then to Oxford, and now he's at Princeton. And he's you know he's studied he's working on his PhD in sociology. And uh, you know, I I guess I wouldn't really call him a, a close friend. He's more of a, a Facebook acquaintance that I met through my wife. Um, but I enjoy engaging with him because you're right. He he does he's wrong all the time, but he does challenge. You know, he he. Uh, he, he, he 
makes you know quality arguments as opposed to just oh like you know well if you don't like it move to somalia or something like that you know a, a thoughtless argument he actually puts thought into his arguments and you know like i said he's wrong all the time but it's it's nice to actually have a conversation an intellectual conversation with somebody that you disagree with because uh, it makes you even if you don't change your mind uh it it hones the ideas that you already have and helps you be able to express them in a, in a better way yeah absolutely but well yeah, every go ahead, ahead. sorry uh, no, go ahead. I was going to close out, but if you got something well, I was going to say, you know, what you were you were starting to talk about, um, trying to, you know, look at things on the positive side and be, you know, see some optimism, uh, you know, because we're talking about addiction and violence and gangs, and you know, it can be pretty heavy, and you know, uh, you know, people getting thrown in jail for for no reason. That you know, it's a really sad situation, but you know, there's definitely movement in that area that with all the states that are legalizing it recreationally uh, and uh, medical uh, use of marijuana. Uh, but, you know, for me, it doesn't go far enough, um, but it's definitely a good start. And, uh, you know, just the, the benefits that would come from, from decriminalization or legalization, whichever word uh, you prefer, um, you know, there's entrepreneurial opportunities that would arise people would, you know, already in places where, where marijuana has become legal, there's, there's growers, there's retailers, there's wholesalers, there's people who need to, to ship it around. So, you know, if we just extended these positive, positive benefits that are coming from the legalization of marijuana to all these other drugs, uh, you know, the, the, the benefits would be uh, just that much greater. You know, and, and I think and you truckers would have are, a lot more to, to, to ship. Yeah, and, and I think people are going to have to understand that the, the cat's out of the bag. Pandora's box has been opened with, with blockchain decentralized currencies that are here. They're, they're, it's not if, it's when. Um, one of these currencies or, or a number of these currencies are going to win. They're going to they're going to become the standard, or or a few of them will be, um, and there will be a time. It's coming. You can buy anything from anyone from anywhere, and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. Um, and and with the way the the, the state and the banking industry are so closely connected, that the you know even if we uh, we as as willing producers and willing consumers begin to have transactions, even if the state says no. Well, then the state comes in and has the you know the bank shut down. Uh, you know we've seen it with the with porn producers. We've seen it with marijuana growers um, that they can use the banks um, as a tool to to shut down free market activity. And you know so people are going to have to understand that that. This is happening. The, the prohibition will eventually come to an end. And so you're kind of going to have to decide how violent are you willing to be as an individual? Um, because, you know, if I don't want something on my property, well, I have every right to say, okay, no, this is my property. We're not doing this here. But my authority ends at my property. 
You know, it, 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 I can't go beyond the, the boundaries of my property and tell everybody how to live their lives and, and then threaten them with violence um, if they don't comply. And so I, I believe, you know, for my kids, um, the future is very bright in the opportunities that they're going to have available to them because of the technology that's available. Um, and I think Africa is number one on the list. You know, you, you, you got a whole continent there. That's a big piece of land that's untapped and untouched. And if they get a hold of some of these concepts and get some, some infrastructure down there, uh, we may end up being a third world country here, you know, and they may be first world, I, you know, it's, but it's happening. It, it's, it's, this is not going to go away. The, the, uh, the, 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 the information is going to continue to spread and, and people are going to start, I think, waking up and looking around and saying, okay, well, the way we're doing this is wrong and we've got to stop. Yeah. You, that, that was the next point I wanted to make and you made it perfectly. You know, uh, uh, even if, you know, when, when, when I start advocating for, for, for decriminalizing all drugs and ending the war, the, the, the prohibition, people kind of freak out and say, you know, that's, uh, it's so dangerous, but you know, there, I guess there's some nuance to that position that you, that you articulated very well that, uh, you know, you can still have prohibition just on the property level. You know, the, the homeowner can say, I don't want that in my house. The, a neighborhood association can come in and say, we're not going to allow that to be sold in this neighborhood. A business can say, you know, our employees have to submit to drug tests and that kind of thing. And that's their prerogative. Um, you know, no, no, no. Well, I guess I shouldn't say no, but myself as a libertarian uh, would never advocate that somebody should that, that, that those property rights should cease to exist. Um, and I guess lastly, before we wrap up here, you know, if, if, if not the government protecting us from drugs or dealing with addiction, then who? And the answer is simple. It, you know, you can't have a top-down solution to a, a problem that, like addiction. And addiction is a problem. No libertarian would deny that. Uh, but, you know, having a state down pro uh, solution where their solution is essentially, you know, let's throw these users and sellers and addicts in prison with all these other violent criminals to be subjected to God knows what. That's not a solution by any means. And it hasn't worked. Uh, so we need to, you know, bring that responsibility back to the individual level back to the families, back to the communities and the neighborhoods and the churches. And, you know, we, we need to look out for each other to and educate our, educate our children about dangers. And, uh, you know, if one of our family members does fall into addiction, then we need to, you know, step in and try and help them and get them the, the support that they need and not look to the government to be, you know, the, the, the Lord and savior uh, and, and, you know, help solve these, these, these problems. Because they just make problems where they wouldn't exist. You know, they create criminals where they wouldn't exist. They create violence where it otherwise wouldn't exist. Uh, and it, it's just, a, it's not a solution. And it's trillions of dollars have been spent in the name of fighting this war on drugs. And 
addiction is as bad as it's ever been in the past. You know, it just simply has not worked. So it's time to try something different. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. Uh, well, Jared, I appreciate you being with me. Um, I, I think it, I think it went well. I think it was a great talk. Uh, love to do it again sometime. Uh, sure. Now, do you you have some other projects you're working on? Yeah, are, are yeah. These- uh, you know, definitely. Um, I, my main uh, where where people follow the most is on Facebook. You can follow my my online platform. I guess you would call it as a narco land. Uh, tagline is the case for a stateless society. Making the case for a stateless society. Um, so follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash anarcholand. You can go to anarcholand.com. I got some of my other writings up there and, uh, you can see what I got planned for the future. You can also support me if, uh, if you feel so inclined, which I would definitely encourage. Uh, and then, you know, just, uh, the, the breaking Liberty book that I wrote, you can get that for free at breakingliberty.com, And then that'll get you signed up onto my email list and you'll get uh, periodic emails from me making, uh, you know, spreading libertarian anarchist propaganda. Abs outstanding. I, uh, I had a little bit of a, uh, exclamation there, uh, because I, I almost ended the show cause I hit the wrong button. I'm playing with this, this platform and, um, not paying attention to what I'm doing. Yeah, it's a cool platform. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. I'll, uh, anyway, uh, again, I appreciate you being on here with me. Um, you can find me at uh, www.anamericantruckdriver.com. The email address is anamericantruckdriver at gmail.com. Facebook.com slash anamericantruckdriver. Instagram, anamericantruckdriver. And on Twitter, at chrispolk76. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I hope it's maybe not scared you too bad and got you to think a little bit outside the box when it comes to prohibition and the war on drugs. Uh, We'll be back with you soon with the next episode. And until then, we'll see you next time.